history lecture one. Blyweiss, um, probably it's today and one more day of, uh, of uh, our discussion. So we talked about, we, we got into the discussion of Yemos Mashiach last week. I gave some of the striking uh, famous sections of Chazal that seem to be anticipating our days. Uh, of course, many phases in history have felt that. The topic is confusing. It may be deliberately confusing. We'll, we'll get into that as well. Several things are going to transpire. The order is not entirely clear. There is something, part of the mix is the war to end all wars, what we call Melchemist Gog Umagog, with the Christians convert with all kinds of distortions and, and errors into what they call Armageddon and create, create popular myths, but they're based on genuine uh, uh, genuine ideas in, in, the, uh, in, the, in, the, in the, mostly you find them in Sefer Yechezkel, you'll also find them in Sefer Zechariah. So this war, Magog, is the climatic war that will end the Gaulus. It will occur at some point around this time. There'll be an ingathering of exiles. Uh, based on simple shot in the Pasuk in Zechariah, all the nations, without exception, will come to Yushalayim for, for a big war. Uh, Yushalayim will be, the Redak says, it will be the battleground that the war will be waged in. Careful where you are. In Tanchuma, Medj Tanchuma, we learn that Gogu Magog is in Gematria. Can you do quick math? It's impressive. That's why it's nice to work it out. Seventy. Right. So that's in, that's indicating all nations will become part of this uh, this colossal struggle. So. Um, what is it? Right. So okay, so it's all interconnected. That's nice. Yes. Um, in the beginning, I'm going to be quoting mostly Psukim and some Chazals uh, in explaining some of these phenomena, and then I'm going to be going through more Chazal and then eventually uh, the Rishonim and how they understand a lot of these, uh, a lot of these ideas. Um, in Zechariah, the 13th parak, we learned that two-thirds of the earth will be cut off, one-third will remain. Uh, it's also discussed in the Gemara and Sanhedrin exactly which two-thirds will be cut off. There's a Havamina that, that, that two-thirds of the Jewish people will be also cut off. A, in, in the conclusion, the seemingly decisive uh, um, the conclusion is no, the two-thirds will be other people, the, Jews pe the Jewish people in, um, will be part of the surviving third, at least most of them will be. In Yechezkel, we learned that on the eve of the war, Jews will gather in Eretz Yisrael from the countries from all around the world. There will be, according to Ramak, uh, explaining um, that he brings uh, the Zohar and Breshis, there will be an independent Jewish state that will be founded before the war. It will be the focal point of uh, a multinational opposition. I mean, it's hard to imagine right now, I, I, I can think, but uh, this Jewish state will be, will be the center of great opposition that will be, you know, confront many of the world powers. Um, the state will, this is, I'm, not make, I, I'm just reporting him, folks, I'm not making him up. The redact brings sites to the Zohar. Uh, this state will apparently be destroyed and then be replaced by a later Jewish regime of sorts. 
all the nations one day will gather and start talking peace among themselves. Uh, but it's don't be misled. They talk peace among themselves with one uh, unspoken but clear goal, the destruction of the Jewish people. So this is starting to feel um, scarily close to uh, reality or this. You, read the, you open the newspapers, then you start reading the Ramak. The Ramak, of course, I, I said the Redak before, that's a mistake. I, I, if I said the Redak, that's a mistake. Ramak is Rav Moshe Cordovero, the great Kabbalist. Um, Rav Moshe Cordovero's family came from Portugal. Ostensibly, they were from Cordova, which, is, which was more to the uh, east in the Spanish, in the Span the Spanish uh, peninsula. But <coughs> he lived in Spas. And he was, um, he was born in 1522. Uh, he was young student, part of the Rav Beirav's, Rav Yaakov Beirav's, Mari Beirav's uh, close group that was part of the original Smicha project. He was the youngest to receive the Smicha. And he, his um, version of Kabbalah, we stood by his kever a few days ago, his version of Kabbalah was the... Um, was the dominant version before the Arizal came along. And uh, he lived a relatively short life. He died in 1570. So this is uh, the, Ramak, the Ramak cites many of these, many, much of the Zohar discussing the end of days. Uh, many of these ideas, of course, seeming, seemingly uh, describing the times in which we're living with the, the world certainly lined up, uh, maybe not outwardly conspiring to destroy the Jewish state, but one gets that impression sometimes. It, Medrash Breshis Rabbah tells us the world, I'm going to cite my sources more here, because you're going to see that painting a full picture involves really uh, painting a broad canvas with lots of disparate sources. Not all are, are seemingly lined up. I mean, if you're trying in your mind's eye to film a cinematic version of this, you're going to have, you're gonna, it's going to be difficult. And they, I'm sure they do all the time try to film the cinematic version. And inevitably, it comes off as laughably Hollywood, I would guess. Because, no, no, I'm saying because they, how do you depict things that are ultimately beyond the human um, grasp? So the Medrash tells us the world will have the ability to self-destruct in an instant, in the end of days. Something that not long before the modern era was unthinkable. Um, today, of course, quite imaginable with, with various modes of uh, modern weaponry. Um, the Gras cites a tradition that the war will last actually no longer than 12 minutes, uh, which again is uh, unthinkable in the days of the Vilna Gone, such a thing would be unimaginable today, quite, quite conceivable. In uh, Zechariah, Zechariah says, they will stand with their feet on that day in Harazesim. Harazesim, we know, just immediately to our east, where we, where we are right now. Um, just to tell you topographically, remember when we stood by Shimon Atzadik's kever, just to hop, skip, and jump, jump that away, very, very close. Um, that was the beginning of the Kidron Valley, Yoshafat Valley. And then, as the valley becomes more pronounced, the whole eastern flank is the Mount of Olives. So that's what we're describing here. Um, I looked to the, uh, as we were leaving Shimon Tzadik, I commented to Rapitim, I said, you know, look over there. All this land that Jews don't have much to do with nowadays, it's deep in the Arab territory of East Jerusalem, but 
one day it will play a major role and one imagines that in history <clears throat> the whole mountain was filled with Jewish graves, not just those that are um, visible today, but many that have been destroyed and are underground. Uh, they will stand in Harazesim. Harazesim will change topographically. It will split in the middle from the east to the west and a massive ravine will open up. So if you're, if you're picturing, I don't know, the um, three-dimensional version of this, you should correctly be picturing that the topography as we know it in Yerushalayim will be changing uh, dramatically. And this is, this is one of the first changes. Yeah, one earthquake and the whole thing. We are tellingly, let me just say, we are tellingly on a, a, a um, ge ge geographical fault here. There is, there is, it, there's a continental drift, and so there's no question that earthquakes could play a role if you want to explain the phenomena naturally. You don't have to, since Hashem works in many ways, both within nature and outside. What were you going to say, Daniel? But it's like, it is not specifically a first earthquake. Most of the houses in Israel are situated on hills and mountains, and there are more than both there. It's like a, it's like, it's like a staircase of houses. One goes, one starts over there, a whole thing, and one Well, I don't know if you're with me, but when I guided Sfas a few days ago, I did describe exactly what you just, yeah, yeah, yeah. in Sfas, where the thing just slid, slid on itself in, in 1837. The, um, <clears throat> yeah. The, um, in fact, this seems to correspond to another prophecy in Yechezkel. Remember, Yechezkel and Zechariah are approximately a similar time. Yechezkel came, come, comes earlier, but they're both Galus Bavel and post and beyond, been into the, into the beginning of the Second Temple period. So Yechezkel had told us that actually Yushalayim will undergo great changes, and the city itself will be some 25 mil away from the base of Mikdash. Let's say 25, 45 mil in, in Persian miles. 25 miles in the way we, we consider miles today, south of the base of Mikdash. There'll be some massive uh, transitions. That's what the Psukim say. Malbin says that when you try to put all this together, you come out with a lot of contradictions. He says, um, all this will be reconciled. It'll all be smooth and obvious to us then. We don't have to worry about it. Uh, the Radak, now I am talking about the Radak, not the Ramak. The Radak was the great Rishon, who's a composite of many different Perushim. He says that it's going to be the new valley is going to open up, and that's Chazdei Hashem. It's going to be a escape route for the Jews, because as the nations, all the nations of the world are doing battle one with the other, Hakadosh Baruch Hu, as it were, will provide a safe refuge for Klal Yisrael. That's a metaphor that you should hold on to. It's kind of a metaphor in history. As the goyim go at it, Hakadosh Baruch Hu always seems to provide this escape route, and the Jews have survived, not in total, and not without injury. But uh, there's an escape route for Klal Yisrael. It, in Zechariah, it's described that the um, situation will be one where there will neither be clear light nor absolute darkness, nor heavy darkness. And um, the Radak there also says that there, um, this physical reality reflects the spiritual state. The Jews who are there are going to be confused. We're not going to know if we're seeing the light of redemption or the darkness of doom. This too, I don't know, I can't help but think, uh, in thinking about our days, we see so many great positive dynamics, and there's so many deplorable things going on. It seems also reflective of this general state. Are we going up or are we going down? A question that nobody can answer. Um, then the Pasuk indicates by evening, clear light will emerge, and it will become evident to everybody what's really going on. Um, of course, it's a good idea to see the light 
before it becomes obvious, because then your tshuva counts more. You know, the uh, famous relevant Gemara in Sukkah talks about the slaughtering of the Yet Sahara, and that one of the simple pshats, it, when the tzaddikim are going to cry, when the Yet Sahara is slaughtered, because now, when we're alive and we are living in semi-darkness, when we make tshuva, when we fix our midos, we have a chance to demonstrate how much we love Hashem, but when there's going to be absolute light and the clarity of the knowledge of Hashem is all around us, well, obviously we're going to make tshuva. What kind of idiot's not going to make tshuva then? You're not going to, if, the, um, if you're speeding and a traffic cop comes behind you, you're going to continue to speed? It's the same, it's the same idea. You know, you're, you're, going to, you're going to drive safely. The knowledge of Hashem is going to be luminous. Uh, it's really in our days that uh, we have an opportunity to really make tshuva gemorah, to really do something meaningful. Echezkel describes Gogu Magog. Gog is from a land of Magog, the way it's described in the Psukim, and then will attack Am Yisrael. This will take place after this. There will have been a, an ingathering of exiles, what we call the Kibbutz Galios. It'll be, see, that's a little unclear too. Certainly a major episode based on the 14th chapter of Zachary will be during Sukkot, the Haftarah that we read, but clearly elsewhere it indicates that it'll also be on Pesach. And we know that Pesach and Sukkot are the same holiday. And so clearly there's going to be, and Cholamoid is really, this Cholamoid is that, we have Xavier Shavit, Tesvav, Tesvav. There's some kind of a, a symbiosis going on between those two Yantivs, and both of them will play, during both times of the year, there will be something significant. Again, what it is, not clear entirely. Um, Gogumagog, the names are, are also ambiguous. I mean, it seems that they sound like names of kings. And the, some try to connect it with the list, that we, the genealogy list that we find in Parshas Noach. Um, it may be that they're parallel names for the same nation, Gogu Magog. I'm going to present, I've mentioned before, but I'm going to mention again, which Mr. Rafael Hirsch's shot on this. I'm going to, I'll, I'll, wait, I'll wait for the moment on that. Um, what is clear in the Pesukim is that whatever they are, these nations are driven, and again, we said that they might be all of the nations, because in Gematria, Daniel, we said that they added to 70. 70. Um, what the one common denominator is that they are driven by a pure, violent hatred to destroy the peaceful uh, nation of Am Yisrael that is finally gathered together uh, and is trying to live out a peaceful existence. And the nations will be um, will be motivated out of the, out of this uh, vengeance, out of this violence. When did you say this line? Uh, a few minutes ago, we concluded we conclude Elenu, which we just we just have in Mincha. So it'll be that Hashem, uh, Hashem will be the king over all of the land on that day. His name will be one. Excuse me, Hashem will be one, and His name will be one. The um, on that day, but isn't Hashem always the king over all the land? What is this pasuk anticipating? What is this prediction predicting? Yeah, it'll be known. It'll be acknowledged. He will be accepted and celebrated by all the nations. Rashi there says that everyone will say Hashem's name. That's what it means. The Rush comments that the fact that it says Hashem and then again Hashem um, is reflected like in our Yud Gimomidos, that he's Hashem before the sin, he's there for us before, and he's Hashem after the sin. He has, he has Rahmanus, he takes compassion on us. He says... No, both are merciful. Both are merciful. Hashem is the merciful quality of a Gadosh Baruch Hu, and the fact that it's repeated um, indicates that he is there before and after the sin. 
the uh, why does it repeat it? Why does it repeat it? The rush points out with regards to Hodazara, which is the greatest of sins, there's an Avera, unlike all other almost all other Averas, for thinking of Hodazara. Person can't even think of Hodazara by doing that, he's transgressing. Um, he says, on that day, what's going to be unique about that day is that there won't even be a havamina of a havamina. There won't even be a shemetz of itself, a notion, a vague notion of avodazara in the world. People will look at it as nonsense. Bayom Hashem Echad Ushmo Echad will be a complete eradication of even a minor thought of idolatry. It'll be... When people and scientists study animal mating patterns and they look at the whole act of mating clinically and the notion that such a thing could be could involve typhus, could involve uh, uh, um, licentious thinking is very foreign to them. Uh, maybe that's a metaphor here. That the whole notion of idolatry when the knowledge of Hashem is going to be so um, so so uh, in, so replete in the world uh, will be just not even a consideration. That's the rush is trying to say. The whole world will topographically change. It will turn into one flat plain, as will all the mountains surrounding Yehuda, Hara Yehuda. And in the middle of this one flat plain, Yerushalayim will rise prominently and beautifully in the middle and will be utterly secure, meaning the topographical emergence of Yerushalayim um, will reflect the fact that it will, be, it will have supremacy and will be completely, as we know, the military high ground. Uh, you don't have to worry when you're on top. Um, the fallout of the war, not unlike nuclear fallout, um, the, pasuk, the, the, the prophets don't skimp on graphic imagery. Uh, to cite some of the images in Zechariah, the nation's flesh will rot while they stand straight. Their eyes will shrivel in their sockets. Their tongues will decay in their mouths. Every man will be confused and will murder his friends. I mean, talking about the non-Jews, uh, a gory image. Um, this situation will extend not just to the people, but even their animal animals will be plagued. Um, the Gemara in Sanhedrin asks, if people sinned by the Mahul, what was the sin of the animals? And the answer is the animals are only here, uh, are only here for the people. And that we also know that when people sin, when this happened in the Dora Mahu, when people sin, the animals also tend to take part. It's not unlike the phenomenon where you see that um, the dogs start to take after their masters, so that the the um, let's say the slovenly lazy master has sometimes that dog who has that you know like overgrown slovenly ability, or the uptight neurotic often has a French poodle yapping away. So the animals will also be um, will be sharing the fate of their masters. The their gold and their silver and their garments will be gathered by the Jews. It'll be plunder, and this time we we will be able to partake of the plunder. Ordinarily, we, we, we don't do that by Achan. You remember the punishment back in Yericho, but this is, this is different. The rules are different in the end of days. Um, Zechariah tells us, and the Tzudas tells us this too, that all the wealth... Can you imagine this? I mean, this is really a, a nice way of bringing together all the loose ends of history that we've endured. All those years of hardship, of toil, all the times that they kicked us out of our homes, the... Um, 
all those libraries that sold those va valuable handwritten manuscripts of Rashi and Rambam, it's all coming back to the rightful owners. And all the wealth that was stolen and all the years of persecution where we had to leave, the, the billions stolen by the Nazis, but not just the Nazis, will be returned, will be repaid uh, together with the spoils of the war, sort of like the Yamsuf. You know, when the Egyptians, Mark tells us too, when the Egyptians came and made a claim against Klal Yisrael for, uh, for um, they took all, you took all of our loot. So Am Yisrael, um, excuse me, the, the, um, the, the, a smaller level, a smaller ranking, Chacham defended and said, um, actually you owe us back pay for all those hundreds of years in servitude. And Alexander the Great, who was presiding at the time, said they got a good argument and the Egyptians ran. Uh, and left their, their fields bare for the Jews to go collect the spoils. So the same idea here. The Zohar, which of course has a lot to say on all of our topics, describes that the, all the oppressors that the Jews have ever known through all of history will be actually specially revived. Uh, they will also be there at the Trias Amesim and indeed will receive their due punishment during this war. Uh, it won't be pretty. Um, we talked about this in Gemara the other day. Is this something that we should be looking forward to with a gleam in our eye? Aha, get the just desserts. Doesn't that feel beneath us, that kind of an attitude? And I, I think that that's accurate. It's not that we should be um, um, have a, have a uh, vengeance or a lust for, uh, for, for, for vengeance. We know Kaddish Baruch Hu is the die in the MS, and everything will, will um, all, all truth will be, uh, all, all justice will be meted out. But the, the, the point being is that everything, in the end, all loose ends indeed will be tied up. And those people who are culpable are going to have to answer for themselves. And that's part of the way Kaddish Baruch Hu runs his world. And the Nevi'im promises this outcome. Um, Rashi says in Zechariah that we will daven to be saved from the armies of Gog and Magog. Um, and, this, and our tefillah will call upon the schuyos of everybody in the past who either suffered or perished when they died on Kiddush Hashem throughout history. Um, so all those times that I broke down and I could barely get through those statements as I picture Reb <coughs> Shimshon of Ostropol dancing to his death during the Tachvetat attack, attacks in the Ukraine in the 17th century. Uh, but it didn't just have to be there. It could be at any points in history. Each Kiddush Hashem, death, will somehow play a role in the end of days in this war that will, um, all justice will finally be served. <clears throat> this war will bring about great misiones, Rashi comments. It was going to test the sincerity of the converts. Not every ger comes into, comes into a life of Torah with sincerity, and, the test, and, and they'll, be, they'll be put to the test. Um, those who are less sincere are going to regress. They're going to join the forces of their former families, of the non-Jews, and then eventually uh, they will get their recompense. Um, in the end of days, there's going to be great uh, blood loss. Many, many of the nations will perish. Some will survive, and they're going to come to Yushalayim, and the survivors are going to prostrate every year before, uh, before Hashem, they're going to celebrate Sukkot. They're going to come with a funny claim. The Gemara of tells us that they're going to claim, you know, all this time you could have given us Torah. We would have, we would have lived by the Torah too. The nations are going to argue. How come you didn't give us Torah, Hashem? 
And Hashem will say, oh, I didn't know. I didn't know you were so eager. Here, let's test the waters. Why don't you try an easy mitzvah? He said, of course, we'll do an easy mitzvah. What mitzvah would you like us to keep? He said, here, live in a sukkah. Live in a sukkah and see, see how that goes for you. And uh, they'll go, and it won't take very long until the, the heat of the sun, the midday sun, um, makes their life a little bit uncomfortable. And they'll leave the sukkah, and they'll kick the sukkah as they leave. Um, and indeed, sukkah is a test of loyalty to Hashem. It's a test of mitachon. Can you endure the elements outside when you're feeling more fragile? Um, the Gemara indicates that sukkahs, of course, we daven for rain in the coming year. And indeed, the rain in the future will not fall on anybody or any family that doesn't come to Yerushalayim on sukkahs. Um, they don't deserve this, the, the, the gishme bracha, the... the, the Rains of blessing that will come out that will come out in the end of days. Um, there are three great battles. This is brought out in many, many the the Grah, the Man Loes brings this out. Three great foes that will emerge in this last war. Asab, of course, and Ishmael, and finally the Erev Rav, who we talked about at the very beginning of the year. The Erev Rav, who we know very much is uh, now part of Klai Yisrael, is mixed in uh, to Bad Midos. And um, they, these battles will also be singled out. I mentioned Rav Hirsch. He explains allegorically the concept of Gogu Magog. Gog, you remember, comes from the Hebrew. We were talking about this before. This is one of my favorite pieces. I'm shocked that I haven't done this. I, 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 this, this often tends to come up when I'm guiding. So Gog, Daniel, help us with your Hebrew here. Gog sounds like which word in Hebrew? As in Gogu Magog? Good. Very good. Roof. Gag. Gag. So what it indicates is, um, is that's the way of the non-Jews, and particularly the way of Esau, the eternal foe of, of, of Yaakov, of Pal Yisrael. Um, Gog is Gag. And that's significant. It stands in stark contrast at the time of this final war with the Jewish holy vision of the roof, which of course is Schach. You know, in every, in every element of the world, there's always a kind of mitzvah equivalent. So when they think of Gag, Gog, we think of Schach. Now, think about the contrast. Um, people think in life, especially when you're coming from Esau's point of view, that they can make themselves safe against all the threatening forces in the world. They can build uh, Fort Knox. They can build secure structures. But nothing's safe. Um, which nation in the world famously... Um, built rooftops, built whole cities, as it were, Rome. under roofs, who went in Rome, do as the Roman, of course, Rome is Aesop, is Edom. So all these ideas are very much inter, 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 interconnected. Um, they built roofs because if you're Aesop and you're of the perspective, you're only of this world. Remember, Aesop was somebody who was of the physical world. He had a mastery of one particular mitzvah, Kibbutz Aim. Because that's one that if you're totally engrossed in this world, you, you can at least recognize your parents brought you life. That one that Ace, that was one mitzvah that Esau could wrap his brain around. But most of the mitzvahs were beyond him. You want the Bechorah, Yaakov? I'll sell it to you. What do I need this Bechorah for? Am I going to offer sacrifices in some base of Mikdash? I don't need that, was Esau's perspective. In fact, when Esau... You sell your right to the Bechorah. Just because you sell it doesn't make it that he was born. Excellent the question. Go look, go look at the Mepharshim and told us. At the beginning of the parsha, when Esav indeed sells it to Yaakov, what, is, what in fact is he selling? When Esav looks at the sky, what does he see? 
and look up in the sky. What do you feel? What does Asaph? What does Asaph feel? Put yourself in his shoes. What's that? Yeah, but why? What does he see? How does he feel? Let me put it that way. Very small. Asaph is extremely uncomfortable. It's utterly fitting that that Rome developed the technology and the engineering skills to build roofs, to build arches and domes and all kinds of. Do you know the whole colonnades in the center of town, in the center of a Roman cardo, you could have the entire area totally covered. In the anybody been to Caesarea, which is a quintessential Roman city, the theater in Caesarea actually blocked out the ocean. When we go to Caesarea today, and we see the lush views of the, the, the vistas of the Mediterranean, it's gorgeous, we get to say a bracha, but they blocked it out. They didn't like to look at the ocean anymore than they liked to look, the Romans didn't like to look at the ocean anymore than they liked to look at the sky, because when you really look at the sky, you feel terribly small. You feel, you feel, you feel fine, but we know that Aesop is a top, he's, he's, he's the ultimate Balgaiva, the arrogant figure who likes to feel that he's mastered his world, and the Romans certainly felt that way, that they, were, they had conquered the world, uh, they trusted Mycenaean. They trusted the work of their hands. They blocked out a Kaddish Baruch So here comes Rav Hirsch, and he says, that's the war in the end of days is certainly going to be a physical, real war. It's also going to be parallel to an ideological battle of the Gag versus the Schach. Because in contrast with the Gag, where you build a nice, sturdy rooftop hoping to shut out a Kaddish Baruch what significantly is the quality of our Schach? You have to be able to see through it. It has to be porous on some level. If you built a completely hermetic roof, it's possible as schach. Because there has to be a little bit of sunlight comes in, a little bit of stars, but you can look up and see the star. Actually, you don't have to see the star. It can be thick, but, but there has to be a little bit of sunlight that comes in. And the, and the pshat is, is we're letting Kodesh Bar in. And that's, that's what we do in this world. As we see, even in the physical world, in our physical realities, the spirituality has to come true. That's the Mida of Yaakov. Um, not only are they Gag, but they're Magog. He explains this grammatically too. So brilliant, so, so, so fitting. You hear Pshat sometimes, you feel like, oh, that's Pashu Pshat. So we know a little bit of Hebrew grammar. We know that when you add a Mem, like in Piel or Hefiel, in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew uh, verb Binyanim, um, we know that what happens is it's causative. It makes something else like that. Like especially in Hefiel. So Gog is not content only to be a Gog unto himself to block out a Kodesh Baruch What is Gog's tendency? To make everybody else the same way. Gog we know is proselytizing. Much like the Greeks and the Romans. They wanted to conquer the world. They wanted to take over and make everybody. They weren't enough just to have their own roofs. But they had to make your rooftop into, into, into their rooftop too. Um, the Christian civilization descends from Rome, and we know that there's no great, greater proselytizer than the Christian religion. They're not secure unless they feel they can convert the world to their line of thinking. They're go umago, blocking out a true, ver- a true vision of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Um, the secular West is, 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 is somewhat similar. They inherit uh, the, the legacy of Aesop. That's why America likes, to, uh, likes everybody to be American. Uh, if you don't believe so, look at America fighting all these wars that they probably have no business fighting. But you know, we'll teach them good American liberal democracy, right? They'll, 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 they'll get it. They'll, they'll get these. They'll get. They'll get it down. This is coming from the tradition of Asaf's Gogumagog. Um, I picture when I when I guide, I often look at Harazasim, and you have to use this your, your imagination. One of the things today, sadly, that covers this beautiful mountain are all those tacky Christian churches with all their fancy roofs. My personal favorite of the Golden Onion Bowl, that's the Russian church, the Mary Magdalena. Um, 
so in the end of days, Zachariah predicts that all of these great roofs are going to be destroyed. They're all going to be caving in as the mountain opens up and this big escape route forms. The topography, all, the, all of the world will be leveled. Harazesi will be leveled as well. Uh, they're going to crumble into the mass ravine. And in the end, the only one that people can rely on for safety is a Kaddish Baruch Hu. And that's Jews. And now, finally, laterally, non-Jews, and it, it, it comes from this, the same 14th chapter in Zechariah that this Pasuk that we cited before, Hashem, and those days will be indeed king over the entire world, and that day, Hashem will be one and His name will be one. <clears throat> Here are the basics that we know about the arrival of the Messiah, of Mashiach Himself. We know that the Sanhedrin will be renewed. The Pasuk at the beginning of Yeshaya promises this, that we're going to have a Sanhedrin. We talked about recently the zeal, the eagerness of the Mizrahi world to try to do that. Some would say um, maybe even prematurely, and it has to come at a certain time. It's not something we can force. We can't be dolchek at the gates. Um, but you remember in history that the Sanhedrin was the central um, central address of justice. It's the central address of Torah. It's not just our high court. It's the place that the ultimate Shilas or Paskin. It's, it's where the Nasi sits. That's that's our centerpiece. It's significantly sat in the Lishka Sagazis as a, as, a, as, a, as a central fixture of the base of Mikdash itself. And um, we had it. You remember it went through 10 levels, 10 steps of um, exile in the end of the Second Temple period, ultimately ending in Tiberia. We stood there earlier earlier this year, possibly in the actual place of the Sanhedrin. And where the Romans destroyed, Asaph destroyed uh, the Sanhedrin way back in the day, so the Sanhedrin, the prophets promise us, will be reestablished. And, and Torah will be central again in Eretz Israel. Uh, Mashiach Yeshaya tells us is a messenger of peace. Um, he will come with Yerash Shemayim. He will descend from the line of David and Shlomo through all the kings ending with Zidkiyahu. He will, when he assumes his role as the king, it, actually the Navi Yechezkel who has the most explicit uh, description of what this, what this is going to be like, he's usually referred to as the Nasi. Interesting, the Nasi, some understand that means an assistant to the king. The Gemara seems to indicate that the Nasi is going to be, a, um, is going to be David re, uh, reincarnated and the Melech will be the actual uh, Melech Mashiach. Again, I'm being vague here because I think the, the sources are vague. I don't think we have absolute clarity about these, um, these ideas. He will be descended from David and Shlomo for sure. Um, he will assume his rightful role as the king. Small K, but king of, king of the world. All leaders of all other nations will defer to him for guidance. That's clear in the second chapter of Yeshaya. Uh, at this point, when he emerges, it'll be, it must be on some level after the Melchemes Gogumago because all evil and all tyranny will not be able to stand up before him anymore. His stature will be greater than that of Shlomo HaMelech. And I don't know if you remember this. You were all here when we talked about Shlomo HaMelech. With his, which is with his miraculous throne and all of the miracles that he could perform. Well, Melech Mashiach is going to be of greater, of greater significance. Um, at that point, we know from, the, from uh, also Yeshaya. Yeshaya is a major source for predicting the days of Mashiach. 
all the nations and all the cultures in the world, they will all come and worship Hashem. They will abandon their false gods. Um, knowledge of Hashem will fill the world, but not, not equally. So that the people who invested now in trying to develop themselves, their knowledge will increase exponentially. The other people who didn't take advantage when they had an opportunity, they did things like they sat in sheer, that they played video games and whatnot. Uh, the other people, um, and the people who never even came to Yeshiva in the first place, who could have had the opportunity, and certainly those who you know, could have come to the base, the, um, the, uh, they will learn too, but not necessarily on the same level. So we all have to, we all have to maximize our Torah with getting in while we can. Um, Hashem will destroy the nations that go against Jerusalem, uh, that's in all the Nevi'im, Zahari, Yeshaya. Um, for their part, the other nations are going to eventually recognize all the wrongs that they did to Am Yisrael um, and will actually be very uh, um, remorseful and will turn to Klai Yisrael for guidance. How do we find the Shem? Would you teach me? We will be at that point, as the Psukim describe us, Amalechis Kohanim, the Goy Kadosh, will be a nation of priests we're going to be, as it were, Hashem's emissaries. We're going to teach the ideas of Hashem to a uh, now starving world, craving spirituality, craving access, and, and not everybody will have that access. As we said before, all of Klal Yisrael are, is going to return to this land, to Eretz Yisrael, as is in Yeshaya and Zechariah. Um, we will experience great simcha. The um, tribes will all unite. Well, Big day. Israel and Yehuda will come back together. That's 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 evident in, in Psukim and Zachary and Yechezkel. Remember, there was a machlokus about that. This seems to be the consensus. Uh, it seems based on the Psukim, and I'm going to comment more on this later because there's difficulties here, and not all the Rishonim agree about how this is going to look. But it seems there's no longer going to be death. Nor will there be hunger, nor will there be illness. It seems at one, but probably two points, there's going to be a tchiyas amesim, all the dead will rise again. Again, that's another pasuk in Yeshaya. All the cities of uh, Israel are going to be restored. Yechezkel tells us, the land that was once barren will be abund abundantly fruitful, which of course we've been discussing this, that's the prediction that the Chafetz Chaim um, already, already, uh, already saw in his days. All weapons will be destroyed. Yechezkel tells us there will be no more need for weapons. As we say, they will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. The um, I told you this that they it's a great play on words. They um, the Israel's army was until very very recently based in Tel Aviv, which among other things is incredibly valuable real estate not much of it to go around, and within the last few years, the main army um, institutions have resettled uh, themselves in the Negev. So in Tel Aviv now, they talk about um, beating their um, swords and turning them into timeshares. If you know real estate jargon. Anyway. Uh, they're going to they're going to beat their swords into plowshares and spears one of the most optimistic beautiful images to come from, from Yeshaya the, the, the weapons that once destroyed people are going to be used to help people uh, to, to, feed, to feed the hungry um, 
Lo yisagoyel goy cherev lo yimaduol milchama. Nation will not lift up sword against another nation. Uh, they will. They won't study. They won't study warfare in the future. The uh, Ishaya tells us the wolf will lie down right next to the lamb. You remember Woody Allen says the lamb's not going to get much sleep. Uh, the leopard will lie down with the goats. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. These are straightforward psukim. And, you know, with all the, um, we're going to have to try to go a little deeper as well, try to understand how the Rishonim understand things. But on some level, many of the Rishonim understand them at face value. This is literal. Um, Rambam has some issue with that, with, with the literal understanding of that. Uh, they will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, Yeshaya promises, the earth will be full of knowledge of Hashem as much as the waters cover the sea. It, we're going to rebuild the base of Mikdash in these days. Now to do so, the Chassam Sofer tells us, um, we need the directive of a Navi. Um, many Rishonim hold that the building will simply appear and descend from the Shemaim, in fact. Um, seems the Rambam is exceptional, like he is in many of these kinds of issues having to do with the end of days. He indicates that it may be built by human, by human agency, but the uh, uh, Rashi and Tosfos and many of the Rishonim hold otherwise, that they're gonna be, it's gonna come in prefab. Either way, the Navi will have to direct us in, in, in whatever part we play in this, whatever the particulars will be, we'll need the guidance of some prophet but would that just be Eliyahu or we have other prophets? Well, Mistama, be, be, it, it should be Eliyahu and Navi. He's going to play a role. If he's the only one, it's not clear. So, so there may be other Naviim. Um, what's that? So there was a chance that there could be Naviim again? Yeah. That? Mm -hmm. that seems to be indicated. Uh, Tosfos in Psachim make a, a point, make an argument that the... Um, in terms of the sequence, it must be the, the rebuilding of the temple must follow the Tchiyas Amesim because at the base of the Pasuk, um, it's clear that Moshe and Aaron will already be among the living when the base of Mikdash is rebuilt. So it seems that the, 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 you know, there's going to be something that's going to happen after the miraculous events will take place based on Tosfos. Um, with the base of Mikdash being rebuilt, all of the mitzvahs, which are of course a huge percentage of the mitzvahs, over 200 of the mitzvahs, will be reinstated. Uh, Am Yisrael will, 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 have, will be reaching their existential re, uh, ideal, living in the land, keeping as many of the Tariq mitzvahs as they, as they conceivably can keep. Um, but it'll be different then. The Navi Yirmiyahu indicates that they're no longer going to say Aron Bris Hashem. They're not going to talk about the Aron Bris Hashem, which is a difficult puzzle. What does that mean? We don't need our holy ark? What about Indiana Jones? So um, it seems Rashi says that the people will be holding on such a, an exalted level, they're going to be so imbued with Kedusha, that the Shekhinah is going to rest upon them collectively. And that they themselves, on some level, and this is a metaphor, are going to collectively become like an Aram itself. itself. We're going to be a much holier people. We are, we're not going to need the Aram Bris as a reminder of the covenant. We ourselves will be that reminder. Tzifanyi uh, indicates at that point the uh, Hashem will perfect the entire world so that we can serve Hashem in unison. 
I'm going to focus just for a moment on the last nine chapters of Yechezkel, just some of the highlights. Um, they are, in the scheme of all the prophecy, unique. Most Nevim describe the Bias of Mashiach in very broad terms, like we've said so far, but it's Yechezkel um, who goes very particular. Right? In, the, in, the, in most of the prophets, we get an image of peace and harmony that's going to reign between people, Benadam Lachavero, and also Benadam Laatzmo. Um, but in the end of Yechezkel, we see uh, lots of halachos, lots of descriptions of the base of Mikdash, of the Kohanim, the Nasi, uh, an entire blueprint of a regenerated utopian society. Some of it you remember that they almost put into a Gniza because it seemed to contradict um, statements in uh, Torah's Kohanim and in, in, in Sefer Vayikra, but Baruch Hashem, they were holy, they was, they were holy to nine who reconciled these, and they're understood now. Um, I'll give you some of the highlights from Yechezkel. I've already mentioned some of them. We know that Bais Rishon and Bais Shani were different one from the other. They they worked with something. They they worked with the guidance of which Navim? Um Chagai, Zachariah, and Malachi. Malachi possibly being Ezra, logically being Ezra. Um, so they guided them, but it was a different. They were different structures. So the third temple, which is not referred to in, in, as the third temple in the prophets, um, but the third temple is also going to be different. Um, unlike the first two versions, both of them became defiled through sin, and really the end was anticipated at the beginning. You remember that Shlomo Melech built the underground tunnels, anticipating that there'd be a need in the end to store the goodies for the future. And so too in the second temple, uh, there was the plank of wood that was built under the whole structure. That was part of the decree from the Persians, but it was also understood that this was a temporary structure. Um, but the third structure, the third commonwealth, um, will be unique. The Shekhinah will live there forever. The basic elements of the Mikdash, when I say the statement like that, it sounds, it's difficult to understand when Hashem will live there forever, but time doesn't exist in the Kaddish Baruch's reality. So always consider that a lot of the, the ideas that we're stating here are necessarily abstract. What does it mean forever when you're talking about Pias and Mashiach? And that's something I'll, I'll get to tomorrow when we start talking about the major Mahlopas Rambam Ramban about how this actually really comes out. But I'm giving you the basic elements right now. The uh, basic elements of the third temple will be similar in many ways to the two earlier versions, but there'll be also differences. Okay, Rambam says, for example, that the second temple, Shivat Sion, was built based on Shlomo's plans, but Yechezkel gave the modifications. Um, Tosfos Yantif, your ancestor, explains that the true explanation was withheld from them uh, because Yechezkel really, his message was meant for, uh, for the future, for the future days. Um, and, and therefore, in the Second Temple, they only got a glimpse of it, but they didn't get the full shot. That's coming in the future. Um, and, there, and therefore, the Second Temple had to be, had to be different. The Third Temple will be, will be something of a different dimension altogether. Um, Rambam, I said already, is of the view that Hashem is going to give human builders the insight to understand everything that was previously concealed. You know there have been volumes written on these last chapters of Yechezkel because I'd like to know, and many people would like to know, how all this is supposed to pan out, right? But we don't know, and so to explain, so according to the Rashi Tosfos version that's going to come down from the heavens, 
Well, then I don't have to know. Hashem's going to make it work, and I'm going to go along with the process and say, okay, and be there. But according to the Rambam, who says it's going to be built through human agency, well, how? If we've never known, and through all of history, people have tried to know, and we understand these kakniwadoros, the generations are declining, how can a later generation know that, what, that which was previously concealed? So he explains, addressing this question, of course, they will be given some kind of Ruach HaKodesh to understand how to build the base of Mikdash. Um, and again, those who say, like Rashi, that it'll be made of fire, it will descend by nace, by miracles, not a problem. The land will measure, this is the way he describes it, 500, I guess you can call them rods, some kind of, some kind of a measuring uh, yardstick, as it were, by 500. It'll be some kind of a perfect square. Um, that area, 500 by 500, will be called the base of Mikdash, translated as best as the Mepharshim can translate it, comes out to something like 9 million square amos. Uh, just to give you a reference point. Is the world that big? Well, no, but listen, listen to this, you can picture this. Today, the Harabais, based on the Second Temple Harabais, was about 250,000 square amos, 250,000 square amos. And the Third Temple, now we're talking about, um, is considerably larger. It'll be 9 million um, Many, many times what we have at the Temple Mount today. Times. Yeah, well, there you go. Thanks for the, thanks for the, the quick math. 32 times as large as the Second Temple. Um, I mentioned that both the Harabais and the Beis Mikdash are not going to be within Yushalayim, but like, like north of Yushalayim, the city. There will be in Eretz Israel 13 identically sized Nachalos for the original Shvatim. 13. Um, well, we'll see how that works. Um, they're given exact measurements, 25,000 rods wide, running the entire width of Eretz Yisrael. There's gonna be a certain symmetry when we stared at the maps of Eretz Yisrael today, trying to figure out the Ari Miklat and the lack of symmetry that seems to exist. Hard for us to understand. Apparently, the topography is gonna to change, and there are gonna be 13 perfectly equal units. Uh, they're going to extend all the way to the Yardane, the Jordan River, but not beyond it. Um, in the 13th is going to be it, how do I do this? There are going to be 12 tribes. The 13th is going to free the base of Mikdash. And it's going to be on the 8th rung from the north. Uh, and it's going to exist between Yehuda and Binyamin. And it's going to be its own separate section for the base of Mikdash. That's why the 13 sections. The um, it's going to be called Truma. It's going to house all of the needs of the base of Mikdash. It's going to be the home for the Nasi. Um, again, most people believe the Nasi is synonymous with the Melech Mashiach. Rashi is a different shot. It's going to be the home of all the Levim. And the rest of the city uh, will be common property that will be mutually owned by, uh, owned by all the tribes of Klal Yisrael. Yeah, go ahead. Twelve tribes include, are not including Levi and including Ephraim and Menashe. No? Why 11? Shimon will come back. You were not counting Shimon, maybe? If you do that, well, think about it. We have 12, Yaakov, and it's terribly confusing all this, we're back and forth. Yaakov had 12 sons. 
Levi's not being counted, but Yosef splits in half. So Yosef is both the prime Menashe, that makes for 12. Like indeed, that's the way it was, it was uh, in the days of Yoshua, that's how, how, that's how the land was divided as well, back once upon a time. The, um, so this, this, it's not quite central, it's going to be after the 18th rung, it's going to be something like this 13th rung. You know what I mean by rung? I mean, if I draw a picture of this, you can, and I encourage you to do this, go look in the R scroll uh, version of Yechezkel, and all of this has diagrams. And you'll see that, you know, you'll have all the tribes, and then after eight tribes, you'll have suddenly a rung that specifically designated the base of Mikdash, followed by four more tribes in the south. Is the way you should picture this. Now, Rashi makes a comment that Yoshua's Nachalos were all dependent. When they, he divided the land back in, say if you remember, three different ships. Actually, Moshe gave out the first two, of course. Who, who did Moshe give to? Reuven, God, and Chetzi, Shev, and Benasha. And then later, when they first came in, um, there, were, there were two and a half other tribes. The other, tri the other half of Menashe, Ephraim, and Yehuda got their tribes. And then finally, the last seven tribes uh, in, from the 18th chapter of Yoshua are divvied up in Shiloh, when they came to Shiloh. So when they were divvied up, it was done Alpia Goral was also miraculous. The Goral, the lottery actually spoke and told exact, said exactly where uh, each land would be. The purpose was partly so that it would be miraculous. Everybody should see it's not arbitrary, and there can be no argument that it's coming straight from a Gunch Baruch. But it was done, this is the point I wanted to say right now, it was done um, based on demographics. Menashe had the largest tribe, really two sections, and therefore they had the largest area of land. Um, well, that was true back in the days of Yoshua, but here it's not gonna work that way. Um, the Shvatim will all be equal in, equal in size, including Shimon, which you remember disappeared into Yehuda, was almost swallowed up by Yehuda, but Shimon will come back as a separate entity. Um, the Ramban seems to disagree. He says that no, the original Nachalas were also equal, and that requires some understanding of what the Ramban is talking about. The physical base Hamikdash itself will look different. In the Temple Institute, they actually have a puzzle version you can do. You ever seen the pictures? Um, so a few of the salient features of how the third temple will differ from its two predecessors, as we said, it'll be much larger, um, right, 500 by 500. Um, the external chotzer courtyard will enclose an internal courtyard, and in there will be the, what we call the ulam hechal and the dvir. Ulam is the outer chamber, hechal is the kodesh, dvir is the kodesh kadoshim. So it's going to resemble more like a square as opposed to a rectangle. Like you picture the old base of Mikdash as a rectangle, but the future one will be more of a square. Um, and again, where everything is centered around the Holy of Holies, when it came to the first and second temple, it was built in a rectangle where the less holy structures were leading up to the Tvir that was in the westernmost point. Right? So it's a diff different um, emphasis. The end of days, in other words, will be much more of a centerpiece and that everybody's going to be much more uh, squarely, as it were, um, surrounding the base of Mikdash and, and, and integrated with the, with the Avoda. Um, there's going to be a special office, Lishka, for the Kohanim, we're called, the, the Navi calls them B'nai Tzadok. Uh, they're going to st that's going to stand right there in the internal courtyard in the Chatzar Pnimi. It's a hard one to figure out. If base of Mikdash 
will actually be in the present site where it is, well then necessarily we have to say that Yerushalayim is going to totally change. As we say, it's going to shift southwards. It'll be in the area of Beit Lechem nowadays. Something like that. Um, the term Baishlishi does not appear in Tanakh at all. But there are many other references that exist in Yeshaya and Zechariah. Um, this is by way of an introduction. This is what I really wanted to accomplish today give you some of the basic ideas, vague though they may be, that come to us from the psukim and from the, the basics in, um, in, our, in, in, in the description of what the end of days are like. But in terms of what's probably more of consequence for us, I'm leaving for tomorrow, which is the many, often ambiguous and sometimes even contradictory statements that Chazal make about what's going to be at the end of days what we have to do to deserve the end of days, how we're going to get there, and then more, more tachlis, how they're going to transpire. And then we have to spend some time talking about Yemosa Mashiach, the days of the Messiah, and then talk about what does that mean with regards to Olam Haba. What is the world to come? Are they synonymous? Are they somehow different? And we'll hear um, really two major, and we'll talk about a little bit more about Tchias Amesim, the revival of the dead, and then two major um, different sometimes radically opposing views about how these things are going to unfold um, speedily in our days, Bezrat Hashem. So we'll pick up from here tomorrow.